Hello everyone and welcome once again to Ultimate Motorcycling's weekly podcast, Motos and Friends. My name is Arthur Coldwells. In the first segment this week, Associate Editor Jess McKinley, freshly returned from the launch in Spain, gives us the lowdown on BMW's all-new 1300 GS. This highly anticipated new version of the quintessential ADV bike that arguably invented the category has now been radically changed. Jess tells us what the remarkable new GS is like to actually ride both on and off-road. This week's snippet features the Moto Girl Lara cargo pants that TJ has been wearing recently. Regular listeners will know that TJ is a big fan of the Aussie-made Moto Girl gear, and so she talks with distributor Amanda Phoenix of Peak Moto Gear about the new Lara cargo pants and why they might work for you. In our second segment this week, associate editor Jonathan Handler talks to us about his latest acquisition, the all-new Schuberth S3 helmet. Schuberth have a reputation for stellar quality, and of course the S3 exemplifies that. Jonathan brings us up to speed on the rest of the standout features of the S3, and why you should definitely consider one as your next helmet. So, from all of us here at Ultimate Motorcycling, we hope you enjoyed this episode. So you got to ride the new, the new BMW R1300 GS, which is really quite a radical departure, isn't it? You know what? It is. It is from a different, it's, it's interesting because it's a radical departure from an engineering perspective and how they crafted the motorcycle. But at the end of the day, what it ends up being is all of the GS that I personally love, and I'm sure a lot of other GS enthusiasts love, but better. So it's, yeah, so it's, it's, it's an extension of what they really did, but they took a radical approach and really redesigned it from the, the rubber up, from the t- tires up. Right. Okay. So the interesting piece of this is this is like six and a half years in design. So speaking with uh, their, their head of engineering and, you know, th- I think the ethos before of the design of the GS was this is their, this is their bread and butter. Do not mess it up. Right. And so you look at the GS and it was like this engineer, the engineering ethos was like additive. Let's just try to add more things and make it better. So it got bigger and heavier and more complex. And you look at it and it has kind of this industrial look. Right. It looks kind of like a droid from a Star Wars. It's got all this stuff hanging on it and everything else. And it definitely looks different. So they took an entire different approach when it comes to engineering. And to do that, you have to create a different team. So this started before they even launched their 1250 GS. And so they've been launching a lot of um, a lot of new packages while this was in the background being worked by a different engineering team that could do this without disrupting themselves. So they called it Project Pacesetter. Project Pacesetter. They were going to reclaim the pace. So they've begun with the engine. So, you know, if you... If you're not the person who designed the first instance of the engine, then you can come in and question everything. Why do we have, why is the transmission behind it? Why isn't the transmission underneath it? Can we save weight? Can we have mass centralization? Did anyone ever think of that before? So they started prototyping that and it was perfect because now you've got a shorter engine, 
you've got less weight and you've got more room for a longer swing arm. So you got better traction from the back end, better articulation. So that in and of itself, mass centralization, less weight, better traction. That was a, a win across the board. Interesting. That is very interesting. BMW is the gadget king. So, so there's a lot more stuff to it. But yeah, but overall, what did you think of the of the motor? Could you feel a difference or is it more in the way it makes the bike handle? Well, it's both. The motor is by far the strongest and most usable GS engine that I've ever ridden. And a big piece of that is the shift cam technology they have on the intake cams. There's two lobes in the intake cam and it's, ser it's operated by a servo. It's got a low... Uh, uh, a, uh, a low load and a high load cam. And not only does that cam, when it shifts over, it changes the, the, the timing, but also the duration of the intake valves. So what that does is it spreads the power over just an unbelievably wide uh, spectrum of the RPM. So you've got like over 90 foot pounds of torque, uh, over like 4,000 RPM range. Wow. So from really early on. And so like there's really no other engine that I've ridden that has that sort of low that that torque with the low center of gravity of an opposed twin boxer format. So um yeah, it's unbelievable. But now it is stronger, much stronger. So we've got 145 brake horsepower now, um, 110 pounds of torque. Oh macro. Um, and I've, like I said, a lot of that torque is on, is on tap. Like it, you know, it's second gear and, you know, 30 miles an hour, you pretty much have 80% of that torque available all the way up through the rev range. So it's just unbelievable fun to ride. Wow. Wow. Mm. Before we get into all the, the other side of things, they've, they've done a bunch of stuff with the electronics. It's got the four riding modes. Right. Did you get a chance to sort of ride it off road or was it just on the street? No, we did a we did have a chance to ride it off road, and I actually think some of their improvements are are really uh, most evident off road. Unfortunately, we only had about twelve or fifteen miles of trail. We were in kind of an abandoned rock quarry that is now being used as um, kind of an enduro park, I guess is what they called okay. it. So we had a okay. few loops that we could ride through there. Um, but there are four standard modes. If you, if you, you know, you, you get the full package, you have seven. So you've got dynamic, dynamic pro enduro pro on top of the standard, uh, four modes. Um, so that's the, the riding modes are fantastic. And, you know, dynamic pro for the street is my go-to and enduro pro for the dirt is my go-to, um, on the electronics, they're pretty conservative. It's pretty German, by the way. It's pretty conservative. Instead of having, uh -huh. you know, um, I think some what some of the Austrian companies are doing now is you've got like a one through seven or one through nine of traction control. And you can kind of tailor it to just about the slip that you want and the amount of intrusion. I found that there was quite a bit of intrusion on the traction control. So I just ended up turning it off in the dirt. Um, Okay. And you can really kind of feel, you know, how the engine is, is working. But with the power delivery of that torque, it's really smooth. It's predictable. So, of course, you can light up 145 horsepower in the dirt on a knobby tire all day long. But it's the progression of how it works that even with traction control off, I felt really, really comfortable. 
in the dirt. So the riding modes are huge. And like you mentioned, um, BMW is the king of gadgetry and, and electronics. Right. There are so many different combinations of, of, you know, the dynamic suspension, which we can kind of talk about as well, because that is new. Um, so yeah, a lot in the riding mode. So they've done a ton, a ton there as well. Okay. Well, you've, you've kind of answered my next question, but I was going to say with all this extra power, has it crossed over into being a bit too unrideable? I mean, is it too much? But it, it doesn't sound like, it sounds like they've kind of tamed it pretty well. Yeah, I think they have tamed it well. Well, you know, so what they've done too is the frame is all new. And so instead of having a tubular steel frame, now they've taken sheet metal and kind of created a, um, like a fuselage type frame, which is much stiffer. Um, the subframe now is cast aluminum uh, and it's, it's bonded more tightly to the frame itself. And the front telelever suspension, uh, which actually has a shock, it has a shock and it has telescopic forks and they're trying to really um, bifurcate the suspension action from the steering action. So the telescopic forks don't have any um, damping in them, you actually have a shock that does that damping and you have really kind of what uh, is like an A-arm in there. And those A-arms had ball joints. So even though it was really German technology, the fact that you could have this front end with had a shock and it, it differentiated steering inputs from suspension inputs, there was a lot of play and a lot of vagueness in that. And so they've removed these ball joints, they've put in high precision bearings in like this really ingenious flex plate and what that does is you can now, especially off-road, I can feel what that front end is doing. I get a lot of feedback. And for a big adventure bike, that's what you need for confidence in the dirt is having that front end feel. Um, it didn't, we also had Metzler Crew four tires, which are my favorite, uh -huh. my favorite knobby, um, which work really, really well. But this is the most confident feeling off-road GS I've ever ridden, even in just the 12 to 15 miles of off-road. Uh, terrain really that's quite a testament because you've ridden i mean several of the other iterations of the gs going back what 10 years or something at least so, i mean yeah and, yeah at least and you always loved it so so really this is really that much that much more confidence inspiring yes absolutely so you know i think the way that i, I it's I look at the GS as, you know, it's always compared to the Swiss Army knife. It's a multi-tool, but a Swiss Army knife has all of these blades and all this stuff on it. And what they've done is they've really kind of refined it. You still have all the functionality of a multi-tool, but now it's in this kind of um, put together package. You know, you look at the, you just look at it and it looks like a, it looks smaller. It's not smaller. It just feels smaller. Um, and everything works a little bit better. You don't have, typically in the dirt, there's a lot of input that you need. You know, there's a lot of flex in the frame. There's a lot of kind of vagueness from the front end and previous GS versions. And that's just kind of how you had to ride the bike. It's a 600 pound bike. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, um, inertia and physics behind it. If you get out of shape and something that big, you're probably not gonna pull it back. It's not a dirt bike. So you end up being a little bit more careful, but now with the new, with the front end, the new telelever and the stiffer frame, a little bit of input equals um, equals the what you're expecting from from the bike from a handling perspective. Interesting. Okay. 
let's move on to sort of the suspension side of things then. So you said that that it's now got dynamic suspension and it did not have that before. Well, yeah, so they've renamed the dynamic suspension, but what they've added to it before is before they had dynamic spring preload um, and they had dynamic dampening. So now you have damping, spring load, and there's a secondary spring for each shock. So now it has variable spring rate. So now you have the holy grail because that's all of the different variables you have. Because if you change your, your suspension damping, it doesn't matter if you're on a, you know, on a track bike, on a motocross bike. If you change your damping, that your spring rate ideally should change, especially if you, you know, if you change your damping a lot, you've got to change the spring rate in, in correlation with that change. So before the dynamic, um, the dynamic suspension had the preload, had the damping, but not the spring rate. So now there's a secondary spring and it looks like it's in the reservoir of the shock bottle on each of these shocks. It is now adjustable. So when you get on it, it adjusts for your weight. So that's kind of like that dynamic preload or sag. So your sag is automatically adjusted. And then depending on your ride mode, it will adjust the damping and the spring rate if you're really going for it. You know, if you're really spirited riding on the street or on the dirt or vice versa. So it's really ingenious. I think that's the, the best of all worlds. I've, I, I think that has to be a first. I've never heard of that before. Yeah. They're really, the German engineers are very proud of this. <laughs> and they should I'll be. Bet. I'll bet. Yeah. And, and, and it's, I, I guess it's noticeable, is it? It's, it's not, you know, I think the, the beauty and the elegance is that it's not that noticeable. <laughs> okay. you, don't, you don't really feel it like in, it's, it's with, it's part of your riding experience. Um, so in dynamic, for example, on dynamic mode, the fastest guy on the street, racer he was able to bottom the suspension a little bit and i was able to kind of see some of that and i'm not as fast as him but i was still able to see that from behind so i saw some of that bottoming for me it was absolutely perfect um and it's one of those things that you just kind of tick the box like now you know big brother is doing this on my behalf thank you very much wow how cool okay mm -hmm. So, so on the street, you're, you, you I, it sounds like you could just sort of put it into dynamic mode and just kind of leave it there. Yeah, I put it in dynamic mode and just left it there. Um, there's a, a cool kind of configurable thing where you have a toggle switch and you can set the toggle to be anything you want. It could be your windshield up or down, or it could be for me, it's traction control on or off. So I want that to be my toggle. So on the street, you can toggle it off and then you can do ride wheelies and you can kind of do all your spirited riding that you want to do. And then just kind of toggle that off. But yeah, I kept it in dynamic mode because there's just so that motor with the torque and the horsepower, there's so much on tap that's there. Wow. Yeah. So on the street, presumably the handling was as confidence inspiring in a different way, but as confidence inspiring with with this feel that you've got from the front end. You could presume you could just I mean, I've seen BMW GS riders just rail on the street. Yeah, yeah, it's an amazing machine. I would have to say the difference, though, I feel that the difference in the front end feel, I feel that more off-road than I do on the street. Maybe that's from my riding style. I think the bigger difference between like a 1250 GS and the new 1300 GS on the street is less than on the dirt. On the dirt, there's a really big gap. It's really uh, confidence-inspiring. On the street, the previous model is pretty pretty dang good before it's just a little better now okay yeah. okay is is this bike much lighter than the previous version or just a little bit 
they say 23 pounds lighter. Um, 23 pounds? 23 pounds lighter. <laughs> so I think they got more, about two thirds of that from the engine. So from the engine itself, that also includes, they didn't have a lithium ion battery in the past. And so now they do. So there's a few pounds there. It also depends on how you configure the bike. So of course, in classic German style, there's, it's simplified, but now modular. So you, there's probably, literally, we were going to try to graph out all the different permutations you can have. I think it's over a thousand different versions based on the nine different seats that are available. So nine different seat heights that are available and all the different suspension and, and what your back end looks like. So as far as what's uh, tail configuration you have. So I think it's going to be pretty hard to say that it's 23 pounds lighter, but I think that that's what they're saying. So 23 pounds lighter in the lightest version that you could buy. I'm sure when it's imported to the States, they'll have two or three kind of premium models that they're importing and you would have to special order something that had less than that right right one thing that caught my eye is uh is they've now gone the same way as the harley pan america with this uh the lowering seat height yeah uh, drops i think like just over an inch mm -hmm. I, I, I i that's such a great idea adventure bikes are such a pain in the ass to get on and off they are and you know what kudos to harley for for uh debuting that and being the first to the uh, to market with that, you know, who would have thought that Harley Davidson would have, would have done that. And when I tested the Pan America, I love that feature because I have a 30 inch inseam and, you know, I'm a dirt bike rider. So I'm used to riding bikes with, you know, 34 and 36 inch seats. It's just what I've grown up with. So, I, but for me, like, it was just great and it's just convenient. So for BMW, they've obviously adapted that as well. They only had that on a couple bikes. And so we didn't really get a chance to test that out. I saw it, you know, so when we were parked at the Enduro Park, uh, one of the engineers showed us exactly how it works and you can have it be auto or you can leave it in low if you want, if you're doing slow speed off road or you can have it set in high. So it's got some configuration to it. We didn't get to test it firsthand. Um, but yeah, there's another piece of suspension automation thrown into the mix there. That's really cool. It is. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, was there anything else about it that that really stood out to you? I mean, yeah. Well, no one else has that 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 opposed boxer engine, and so just by that, the fact that you have that, it's a different feel. It's really fun having that low center of gravity, having that kind of torque. So, if folks that love that configuration, this is just more of that it's just awesome 145 horsepower i've got a gs in the garage right now personal one 60,000 miles on it quite a bit for a, you know when you've got 13 other motorcycles in the garage it's you know it's hard to get 60,000 on it uh but that has 95 horsepower the new model has 145 horsepower so it's just unbelievably night and day different shift cam technology like we mentioned just has a really wide power spread it also serves one of the uh, electronics. There's this eco mode too. You can put it in eco mode if you really want to save some fuel. If you're, you know, kind of on your last trips, get into the get into the gas station, and then the shift cam doesn't work. There is no high load or high load lobe. So I had an eco mode, you know, cutting some traffic in in Spain when I was testing it out, and I didn't have the power I needed to overtake. It felt like it probably had only 100 horsepower as opposed to like the whole 145 on tap. So right. Yeah, that was my two minutes in eco mode. Um, <laughs> you want to be in dynamic mode. Right. Yeah, so my big three takeaways, big three, the telelever 
front suspension that we talked about, have getting rid of the, the ball joints and getting rid of that, the play and some of the vagueness that was in there before. It's just fantastic off-road. I don't notice it as much on-road, uh, but off-road, I can really feel, I have that, that front-end feel that just makes all the difference when you've got a really big adventure bike. Um, right. That was number one. The new motor, just having, you know, the fact, the mass centralization and having all the, the power and the torque is phenomenal. And then the frame. Now this thing, in the past, sometimes I kind of felt like, I've got a lot going on. I'm riding a bike and I got a lot going on. It's almost like if you're pulling a trailer, you know what I mean? You've got a right. lot going on. You know, if you're driving and you're pulling a trailer, you you have an extra sense that you've got a lot going on. On a GS, right. a big GS, you sometimes when you're carving in the street with that, you have this feeling that I've got a lot going on. It just feels put together now. It feels like I can let off the handlebars at speed and steer with my feet using peg pressure, foot peg pressure. And it feels comfortable, almost like you're on a slowdown lap uh, on a track. You know what I mean? When you want to wow. stand up, stretch out your back, and you can just steer with your body. I would never do that with one of the older generation's GSs. I just feel like there's too much flex and there's too much, um, <laughs> yeah, head shake. Yeah, something that might come out and get you. Right. Um, Interesting. This, yeah, this feels really put together. So it really feels just sort of um integrated absolutely yes one solid package yes exactly yeah yeah that sounds sounds like a real um step up i i guess one of the the questions that everybody's going to ask is ergonomics i mean the gs is beautifully comfortable i mean it's a sort of a de facto touring bike, right. oddly mm -hmm. you know have they have they improved that or, or is it basically just as comfortable? It felt, you know, sitting on the bike, we started with the off-road version. Uh, the bars were high that I like for an off-road. Um, we switched to um, the, that was the GS Trophy version. We switched to uh, the regular GS version. It felt very similar to a previous GS, but what they've done is the bodywork is much more svelte really there's less of it so when you're looking around you're seeing tarmac or you're seeing trail you're not seeing all this body work where you're on top of this huge motorcycle now with the slimmer body work you're looking more at the terrain or the track that you're riding and it feels smaller uh, it's the same size the dimensions are very much very similar it just feels a little smaller so ergonomically, it still feels good. So it's just sort of less, it's just less bulky. And so you're, you can be more in tune with your surroundings, perhaps. Yeah, absolutely. Like the front is less bulky. I'm looking at less bike, you know, when I'm sitting in the cockpit. And then like if I'm merging onto the freeway, I take one hand off and I put on the tail like I normally do when I look back. Um, you know, it's the tail is smaller. It, you know what I mean? It's not like, yeah, the tail is much smaller. It's closer to you. So it just feels more compact i was really um to me i felt i felt that it had a shorter wheelbase it doesn't in fact the wheelbase is just slightly a little bit longer but i felt like the bike was a little bit more compact right okay so they've kept the dimensions pretty similar by the sound of it pretty similar yeah yeah the raking trail changed a little bit but the overall dimensions are pretty similar okay so in general handling is you know really confidence inspiring it sounds sounds great yeah, because of the new frame and everything being so tight, the handling is just that much more precise and that much better. Right. So yeah, more confidence inspiring. Okay. 
and presumably BMW are going to have lots of accessories and all the usual stuff that you can add on to it and all the crazy. Yeah, it comes in three different base packages. There's literally, it's a matrix. You have to look at this matrix and, and you know go along the X and Y axis and figure out what combination you want because there's so much out there. Wow. Um, for me, yeah, for me, I prefer the GS Trophy package. It comes with the spoke wheels. It doesn't have as much of the electronics. Um, it doesn't have the radar. We didn't even talk about radar. The fact that it has the adaptive cruise control okay. that you have on some of the bikes and pretty much all the new cars these days, right? You've yeah. got this yeah. adaptive cruise control, but it also has a radar in the tail now. So you have that blind spot assist. So in the mirrors of the of the GS, you have that little light that comes on that, hey, you've got a car or an object in your blind spot. Right. Well, in yeah. case you're riding too slow. Yeah, exactly. You're riding too <laughs> yeah, slow that's... or your buddy is right next to you and you can't hear him for some reason. But well, there yeah. is that. Yeah, that's true. That, that's true. But yeah. again, in that case, you're riding too slow again. So, yeah, yes. Right. Yeah. It's just a whole <laughs> lot safer to be doing about five miles an hour faster than the track. I would <laughs> right, much rather right, right. be overtaking than being overtaken. I agree. Everything in your front front view of vision that keeps you in charge, right? Nothing coming up from from the back. Exactly. Right. But you know, hey, maybe somebody will like that. I mean, you know, that's great. All right. Yeah, sure. I mean, I, you, these bike these bikes are made for going around the world, and so you know, really long days in the saddle. So if you're not on your A game, or if you're you know twelve hours in on that day, you might want to have the adaptive cruise control, and you probably want to have that, especially if you're loaded up and you've got you're in traffic and you're two up or whatever, I can see that it could be really, really helpful. Actually, that's a good point. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. You're right. There's going to be times where, you know, having these electronic aids, mm. you know, we all have different opinions of, of what's good and what's less good and what's useful and what's less useful. And so, yeah, I, actually, I can see, see times. All right. Okay. I'm starting to embrace it. I was a holdout for a long time, but they're getting so good now. You know, it's hard to be so much of a pundit. Um, but you know, that radar that we just talked about, the GS trophy version doesn't have that. So, okay. um, yeah, it's a more simplified, uh, version, you know, something that you can kind of take off road and, and, uh, yeah, so it doesn't okay. have that. All right. So I guess yeah. there's only one more question is when are you getting yours? <laughs> I know. Well, <laughs> it has to be additive. I've had, my wife and I have had too many outstanding experiences on our personal GS. It's called the dream machine, by the way. <laughs> okay. And uh, it has to stay. So either, the, you know, if I have to non-op it from a DMV perspective and get something new, um, but I love this. I cannot wait to get the GS 1300 uh, as a long-term test here, especially off-road. Right. Um, and a lot of the electronics that are in there, you know, yeah, I love turning off traction control, but when I'm buying the tires, I probably want some traction control because I don't want to be smoking my tires in one day and I've got to shell out another $400 for tires. Right. So there's some things that I, I think on a long-term test, I would really like to get my head around. Um, but if there's one GS that I would have, it would be the 1300. It is by far and away the best GS that they've ever built. Really? Okay. All right. Hey, Jess, thank you so much. Really appreciate your insight. Very entertaining as always listening. I can't wait to hear more in-depth stuff, in-depth stuff about it. Oh, my pleasure. And I can't wait to be able to provide you some more in-depth information on it. It is just an amazing machine. This week's snippet features the Moto Girl Lara cargo pants 
that TJ has been wearing recently. Regular listeners will know that TJ is a big fan of the Aussie-made Moto Girl gear, and so she talks with distributor Amanda Phoenix of Peak Moto Gear about the new Lara Cargo pants and why they might work for you. I've been wearing the Lara cargo pants and the first thing that struck me was I, they're not my usual style of pants to choose to wear but um I just fancied something different and the first thing that struck me was the amount of pockets that are available I have to say the amount of pockets is sort of outstanding yeah <laughs> I think I kept like seven or something ridiculous um <laughs> it's handy though like I've I've brought home a whole subway sandwich foot long <laughs> <laughs> split into two two halves one in each pocket so that does fit <laughs> take lunch yeah home. it's so. amazing because they're still flattering but they've got all these bigger yeah. pockets available and then little secret zipped up ones hidden inside they've done really well you know you know in the uk um, i'm a fan of motor girl not just because i saw I've, I've been a customer for since as long as they've started basically six seven years now so yeah, I had the first leggings, then I had the sherry leggings. Um, and you have the dungarees, I guess. I have the sherry leggings and the dungarees. Oh, <laughs> I'm a big fan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, that's, that's kind of what cool. led me to trying the cargo pants. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm really glad. Yeah. I just took the sherries out for a 300k ride just now, um, which is why I'm just sunburned because Melbourne, I don't know, there's like a hole in the ozone layer or something just straight above Melbourne. But as soon as the sun comes out, we're just all burnt immediately. Or that and we have pasty skin for our winters or something. But <laughs> so I, I literally just got home at like maybe 5.15, had a quick shower and came to the shop. Um, yeah. So can you tell us a bit more about the construction of the cargo pants? It's, it's lined with Kevlar. So the Kevlar that we know and love. And when I was wearing them, I noticed that they had, they've got cuffs around the ankle. Yeah, instead of, you know, the old school, um, really wide bootleg cut um, that fit around it, it kind of like stops at your motorcycle boots, um, which I don't know, I, that's my style personally, the very tapered look. Um, it's also nice that it's kind of closer to your your calf and your shin so that the the armor doesn't move around too much so if you go for a slide something that's much wider has a tendency to for the armor to move away from the areas it's supposed to protect so um yeah no so they've they've done really well with the fit um i think um of of all of the pants i think it is the like the smallest fit as in like most people should size up if they're going to buy it um, so if you're typically like a size 10, I'm going to use like Australian terms, but if you're size 10, um, and usually you're a small, you might consider going to a medium if you have say a curvy hips or, or something like that. Yeah. Because they fit, they fit me, you know, true. It, it does tend to, it's, it's usually fine in the extra small, small and medium realm, but once it gets to the larger sizes above that, um, people tend to find it that that it does fit small right so better to choose the next size up anyway you do a, an exchange don't you so they can send them back and change them if necessary yeah yeah that's yeah that's totally fine it's a it's a bit harder in america um so it is important to get things right um but i'm always on the emails and <laughs> um so whenever people you know like send over their their um measurements like the waist hip 
uh, like femur length. Um, <laughs> I've asked people for like the, their, the circumference of their thigh in the midpoint between the knee and their hip, like very specific things, like what kind of boots they're wearing, how tall they are, what their inseam is. Then I'll try to get it right. I'll actually source people, physical, like pe people to, to try things on for me that kind of match those measurements. It might take a day or two to source these people. <laughs> it's like literally my friends. Um, but I, I do go very much out of my way to try to get a really good fit. And it's a it's a quite a wide um, size range that you do, isn't it? You go from tiny size and right up to to quite generous. So UK twenty four or uh, um, a US twenty two is what it goes all the way up to. Yeah. And look, there there's always room for more. So I would love for Moto Girl to come up with a 6X, 7X, 8X. There are people, there are riders out there who would fit those better than trying to squeeze into a 5X. Um, but I'd say for the most part, Moto Girl has done very well at being ahead of the curve in terms of motorcycle manu uh, gear manufacturers who are living in 1970 or something. <laughs> and they all women are, are sticks uh, up to size 14, you know. Yes. So much done really well. They've um they've also catered to petite and tall length. You can't tell now because I'm like, you know, it's just a screen, but I'm five foot one, which is like 154 centimeters. I'm quite short. And the petite length is like perfect for me. I have a 25 inch inseam. It's ridiculous. I should not be on the bikes that I ride, but <laughs> <laughs> but the petite length is like perfect because it's 27 inches. Um, regular length is 30 inches and tall is 33 inches yeah that's a good range yeah so someone who's maybe up to six foot six foot two or so um quite a tall tall lady um i think yeah and there's always going to be people outside of the curve so yeah hats off to motor girl for, for you know offering such a wide range it could always be wider but of course and um i noticed they were really comfortable they have a good stretch to them yeah, they have a little bit of spandex in it. Um, the the construction is uh, cotton twill, so especially around the waist area, I think it could do with more stretch. If they could, if they came out with a Lara two, um, that's the only thing. That's my only feedback to them. But other than that, like just getting it on, it just feels really nice. So, like you, you feel really held in, uh, if that makes sense. So, um, yeah, the stretch tractor is really nice. Like we've never really had anyone come back and say oh the laras are uncomfortable most of the feedback says wow these are super super comfortable so yeah yeah i found them i found they were good where they come to on my waist i think you call them mid-rise but you know you you're not sort of getting the muffin top thing they sort of get high enough to tuck everything in yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when get to the age that you have to tuck things in yeah <laughs> Yeah, no, they have the the four uh, waist adjusters, so like two in the front, two in the back. Yeah, those are amazing. So if you're having a really skinny day when you're feeling yeah. nice and you can tighten them up, but also you can let them sort of relax a bit. Yeah, no, it, exactly. So um, you, again, you can't really see me, but I'm just shaped like a complete rectangle. Like I have no curves, you know, obstacle stick. And um, but there are girls who who have curves, like hourglass or the other way around, and um. These uh, waist adjusters just make it so easy to fit everyone. So there's the front one and the back one. You can kind of alter the angle that at your that your uh, waist sits, your the waistband sits. So um, yeah, so it's kind of like you don't have to catch flies back there when you're riding. There's no gaping. 
that is often a problem. Um, so yeah, although we laugh, you know, when you've got that that sort of triangle at the back of your waist. Oh, exactly. And also you can get sunburn there if you've got like a short jacket on. You really can. You know, I've I've ridden around Australia and I didn't really realize at the time, but like my my backside was showing for the entirety of WA poor people who are who have come across and got so burnt. It was so dark. This one you know, can I say a tramp stamp? It's like straight across the the back what backside. Uh, yeah, no, I, I've learned to tuck my shirts in, but yeah, yeah. Here in America, they were they were two hundred and twenty five dollars for me, and they come with the armor. Now, quite often, you have to pay on top for the knee armor and the hip armor. You know, normally, uh, as as is the case with a lot of motor motorcycle manufacturers, they they sell the garment and then the you know the the armor is extra. And if it is extra, then it's CE level one, which is it doesn't absorb or disperse the impact as uh, efficiently as CE level two. So Motor Girls included both knee and hip armor, um, CE level two in the price. So in that 225 USD, US dollar, um, yeah, it, it includes both. So knee and hip drama yeah and i think that's great because it's sometimes when you're looking at purchasing something to ride with if it's extra for armor you can sort of decide to just go without whereas if it's in with it i think it's encouraging people to be you know well protected and also you can use that armor in your other garments yeah exactly yeah and you can also buy like d30 armor that is softer um, if if you wanted to have like a more casual feel, I guess if it's if it's uncomfortable for you, uh, you can swap the armor out. It's easy enough, like really easy. It's just a Velcro um, latch thing. <laughs> well, I've been really pleased with them. So um, hopefully, people who are listening, you know, this is going to encourage them, and I'll um, make sure there's a link in the show notes so people can go straight to have a look at those uh, Laura cargo pants, which make you feel like Laura Croft. <laughs> yeah. It does make me feel a little bit more powerful, hey? And I'm just on, when, when I ride with the Laras, because I have the Sherry leggings for my uh, the BMW, but when I'm on the on the Grom, the Laras all the way, they're just so comfortable. Yeah, it, especially in the upright position, it's just perfect. So many pockets, you know. <laughs> that's how big the pockets are, but they don't look bulky, that's the thing. So they look, they look great, I don't know, yeah. Yeah, they look great socially and really practical, awesome. Exactly. Well, thanks for chatting and uh, I'll see you on the road, hopefully. Yeah, absolutely. In our second segment this week, Associate Editor Jonathan Handler talks to us about his latest acquisition, the all-new Schuberth S3 helmet. Schuberth have a reputation for stellar quality and, of course, the S3 exemplifies that. Jonathan brings us up to speed on the rest of the standout features of the S3 and why you should definitely consider one as your next helmet. I'm sitting here looking at a pretty fancy new Schuberth S3 helmet. You know, you're, you're definitely a Schuberth aficionado. Well, if I can jump in right here and tell you that when I bought my first BMW, uh, probably 2005, naturally I had to have a German helmet. <laughs> it was all the rage at the time and combined with the fact that they were the only helmet with drop-down sunscreen, 
a la Jet Fighter. Yeah. Oh, nice. Okay. I, I had to have it. Yeah. So 15 years and 14 <laughs> Schubert helmets later, you know, parenthetically, that first helmet, I think, if memory serves, I spent $739, took it immediately on a ride up the coast, stopped at a gas station for fuel, and had the new helmet blow off the seat of my motorcycle and roll <laughs> down the hill at that little station in Gorda. Oh. But actually, uh, I've never had a repair or anything to do uh, with them. They've just been terrific helmets. They fit me perfectly. Right. So I certainly was one who spent my hard-earned money on them until I became a moto journalist and, right. and had Schubert send me samples, uh, which really doesn't cloud my ability to judge the helmet, uh, nor does it lessen my love for the brand. Okay. But they, I guess that does beg the question, though, why do you love the brand so much? I mean, I think I know why I like them, but you tell me why you like well, them. Well, I like the look. I like the way that they're put together, the fit and finish. I like the fact that they're almost always, if not always, the quietest helmet I have. Um, oh, really? You know, now in a day where, where the, uh, the drop-down sunshield is, is pretty much common, uh, certainly through modular helmets, uh, I, I just like Schubert. I mean, there are some other great helmets, so some sure. terrific helmets that shall remain unnamed at this point. <laughs> but everyone knows who makes the terrific helmets out yeah. there. Uh, you know, the helmets that are five, six, seven, eight hundred dollars. Right. And, uh, you know, I'm a believer in you get what you pay for. I've tried to save a few dollars here and there. But uh, looking at this new S3, uh, I like the fact that Schubert is a small company. I like the fact that uh, they do things with deliberation. They will bring in a model and uh, then continue to refine it just as they did. Now, we're talking about the new S3 full-face helmet. Sure. Uh, the S2 came in 2012. That's quite some time for any manufacturer in the moto industry to, uh, to gestate new products. Yeah, 10 uh, years, yeah. And I liked it a lot. And then in 2017, they came with the S2 Sport. And they moved, among other changes, from the ratchet uh, clip under the chin to a D-ring. Uh, I've heard that some racetracks won't allow track days without a D-ring. They don't like the ratchet closure. Now with the S3, they've gone back to the ratchet closure, which I like. It certainly makes things a lot easier. Uh, and, and while we're on the subject of the closure, uh, they, as in the C5 that recently was released, they have angled the chin strap a little further forward and 
that makes my Adam's apple happy. <laughs> and I, I like the, the little changes. I like the fact that they've taken some of the design cues from the C5 modular, from the E2 adventure modular, which is really basically a, a peaked C5. Okay. Uh, I like how they've done the top vent, which is very similar to the C5. I like that they've made a double vent at the chin, one with the rocker on top that rocks back and forth, sure. and another with a two-position opening. I'm sure mm. they don't hear us opening that. Uh, actually, one position opening below that with a filter that's replaceable inside. Uh, I like oh, the really? way there's that... There's a filter inside? Yeah, there's a little filter inside. It's... Okay. I doubt that it's a HEPA filter, but it certainly will keep out rocks and low-flying birds. Right, okay. So <laughs> that, that's a nice feature. I like the graphics very much. At one time, they used to use Drudy. Right. Uh, I don't see any label. I don't know who's making their graphics. They... They certainly charge a little bit more uh, for that. Uh, Rather than just four ninety nine for solids and five ninety nine for graphics, and versus their modular helmets, it's a couple of hundred dollars cheaper than a modular. Uh, I was asked by the Schubert rep, now that I've got the E two, the C five, the S three my favorite helmet, and I do like the S3. I like the fact that it, it's got, you know, a few more millimeters of extra room at my uh, mouth and chin, which for my size head works. Okay. Uh, one thing that I wrote in my written review was that when I first tried it on, I was certain that the helmet wouldn't fit me. And that's because Schubert has redesigned the cheek pads to contour more under my, my chin and jowl. And the reason for that is most assuredly noise abatement. Yeah. You know, with a modular helmet, uh, it's easier to get in and out. It's easier for a manufacturer to, to shape those pads under the chin because they know you're going to open the front of the helmet, slide your face in, and they can clamp you down tight inside and make it nice and quiet. I can see that Schubert attempted and was successful at noise abatement because they have made these, these lower pads much closer together under one's chin and more wraparound. Okay. So as I wrote in my written review, I was certain the helmet wouldn't fit me when I put it on because it's, it's so tight. And when I watch racers uh, put on their helmets, they slide on pretty easily. Watching MotoGP last week, they just <laughs> pop their helmets on and, <laughs> right. and they do the D-ring. Well, with this, I've got to really stretch out the 
the sides you, holding the straps. Right. Pull it down hard over my head and pop. Once it's on, it fits perfectly. And I don't mind that. That's part of the deal. I've got a full face helmet. It doesn't open in front. I want it to be as quiet as possible. And by doing their revamp on these pads, they've certainly made it a lot easier uh, to get a quiet helmet while at the same time taking it uh, off and putting it on. It just takes a couple more seconds. You know, make sure my ears don't bend over <laughs> right. and, and fit in properly. And then with the ratchet strap, it's really good. And while we're on the subject of those bottom pads, Shubeth has adopted the uh, the emergency pull tabs. Right. That that is not uncommon in the business. So that you know, if you're in an accident, uh, emergency workers can get a helmet off by removing those tabs without damaging your neck. Perhaps that is further. correct. Right. That's that's yeah. the idea. Yeah. yeah, I think it was so, a ride came up with that. Originally. Yeah, you know, I don't was, know uh, the provenance of that, but the, I can uh, tell you that the helmet is super, yeah. super comfy. Yeah. You know, the materials inside are uh, soft, nice, really fun to put on, certainly good for all day wear, which I have done on more than one occasion. Uh, it is just a testament to Schubert's really taking their time and examining every element of the of the helmet and making it as good as it can be. Uh, the shape is aerodynamic. Uh, they've just done a terrific yeah. job on it. They've always looked like good quality helmets to me. I mean, there's, I think nobody has any doubt about that. Um, they have, uh, their visors are always optically perfect. So yes. they, they're, they're really good. One thing I do notice is this has a built-in communicator. Is this a... What's well, it's communicator-ready. And while you're on the subject of the visor, at the top of the visor are little triangular diffusers. Right, okay. Uh, and while we're on the subject of the visor, uh, some people may have complained in the C5 and the E2 that the city position, that, that number one first little position that I personally like to ride. It just cracks the visor. It just cracks the visor, like to slam itself shut at about 70 miles an hour. And now they've stiffened it up and that is available. Um, I'm sure the new S3 has it. If you've got an old E2 or C5, you can buy a new visor that does have the uh, slightly stiffer city position, okay. but I'm I'm nitpicking now. Well, who does uh, seventy miles an hour in the city? Well, you never can tell. It depends <laughs> right. on the light it sequence. Is, it is the city <laughs> position, right? Okay, all right. Leaving that aside, because you and I certainly are capable of that. But okay, all right. Leaving that aside, all right. So so they've stiffened up the detente, but uh, but you like these the diffusers? You can. Is there anything that? Well, you know, I, I don't, I don't know how to quantify, uh, you know, right. whether it works or not. But to see that they've done it, I know diffusers are to break up airflow and often to uh, stop any back pressure that's that's happening, just yeah. as they do on the 
you know, the back end of high-performance vehicles. You know, you want right. to break up that airflow a little. Right. But you were talking about the communicator. Yes. It, it is communicator-ready. It doesn't include the communicator. Okay. There is the SC2, it's called. Uh, it's made by Senna. Okay. It is a uh, effectively a Senna 50R. Okay. There's one piece of it that snaps into the left side of the helmet below the ear that is wireless, and it's effectively a Senna handlebar control. For anyone who has used the Senna handlebar controls over the years, I know that I was hooked on them <laughs> because why have to bring your hand up to your helmet when in fact you can just have something on the handlebar? Right. Well, they've made a control like that that snaps in on the left side under the ear and then on the right is the main unit. Uh, it, it attaches by a snap-in after uh, attaching two very tiny connector cables, charges through USB-C, and uh, I've been using the SC2 for several years now as it's the same unit on the C5, same unit on the E2. Uh, one could even take them back and forth. I have actually moved them from one helmet Right. But inside the helmet are three antennas that are already there standard. That's for FM radio, for mesh intercom, and for Bluetooth intercom as the SC2 slash Senna 50R is mesh or Bluetooth, although I am a big proponent now of a mesh intercom radio. Mesh. It's just sure. better, and I've talked about that in some articles online. Sure. Uh, I think that's a whole different podcast, isn't it? Really? Yeah, it, it We're going to have to talk about communicators it, it and mesh. It could be, yeah. that's, that's for sure. Uh, FM radio, uh, it makes and takes phone calls, allows me to, hey Siri, uh, interfaces very nicely with some of the BMW uh, dashboard and entertainment systems that I've used. Uh, on my personal R1250RS, I, I control it through the, the Wonder Wheel, the multi-controller on right. the BMW and get all the functions out of that, but for being able to switch over to FM. Right. Uh, a nice change for BMW is that with certain communicators, which include the high end of the center line, and might possibly only be exclusive for the high end of the center line. Uh, it allows me to use the Wonder Wheel for volume. So oh, really? Okay, that's interesting. Before that, I could use it for everything but volume. Had to put my hand up to the side of my head to do volume. And it was always a WTF moment as to why... <laughs> that control didn't do volume because when you hooked up the helmet to the bike and it did all of these functions, rotating the wonder wheel back and forth did nothing. And <laughs> the first time I ever tried it, I thought that I had a problem. You know, it was so intuitively thought that 
I would be able to use that for volume that I actually deleted the pairing and redid it again, thinking that I'd made some kind of mistake. <laughs> right. So, so they have fixed that. BMWs fixed that. Okay. My experience um, on on other uh, entertainment and or infotainment systems in 2023 is kind of limited. So I can only address that BMW has fixed that. So. Right. Okay. Well, it's a really nice looking system. I mean, it's low profile. It's, you know, it's, uh, it's very discreet. It looks like an integral part of the helmet. So again, I would say that Shoeberth have done a really good job in just integrating that and making it part of it. Yeah. They claim 85 dBA at 62 miles an hour. Uh, I think it's certainly as quiet to my, uh, to my brain as any of their modular helmets, which ought to be even quieter, but because of the neck rolls, I think that it's just as quiet as the C5. Right. Uh, Compared to some other brands. uh, Right. I I don't know of another helmet on my shelf of 20 that uh, is as quiet as as this helmet is. Right. A couple of other things is that for those who think that the Schuberth is the wrong head shape for them, they have come out with an individual program, as they call it, which offers various head size and cheek pads for a more bespoke fit. They've got five different head shapes, varying from round to extreme oval, and two types of cheek pads, sport, and comfort. Good for them. It's available only in medium, large, and XL on their website. It costs $59 for the cheek pads and $35 for the the head pad, but that might allow uh, more people to give this a try. For sure. And, and find that it fits them. I am a medium oval, so I drop right into a shoe berth, as well as a showy, not so much an awry guy. Uh, I'm good with Scorpion. Hmm. So I'm kind of average in term, uh, terms sure. of a, a North American head shape as opposed to what's called a Japanese more round head shape. Yeah, I think I'd probably fit more into that. Maybe it's my European roots, but I, I have more of a sort of a rounder head. So for me, Arai is more comfortable than some of the others. But, uh, but yeah, but, it, you know, each to their own. But uh, that's very, very nice that they've, uh, they've come up with these different ways of, uh, of uh, being able to, you know, like you say, bespoke, customize the fit so different people can try it. I mean, at the end of the day, this is the S3 is is a sort of a, a mid-priced helmet. It's for $5.99 that you get a lot of helmet for your money, I would say. Uh, I, I would the... agree with that. And while we're on the subject, let me correct that the SC2, I'm seeing my notes, is an MSRP of $349. Okay. I think that the Schubert S3 is, is really the paramount helmet for a sport or sport touring rider 
who wants a great looking helmet built as well, if not better than anything out there. Uh, easy to change the, the face shield. It's two little levers, use both hands, it flicks off. Uh, the replacement just, you, you just hold the sides in and rotate it down, it's back on, it's toolless. Uh, I find that the uh, there are no gaps between the the face shield and the helmet itself to cause wind noise. Uh, no lift, no oscillation, no whistling if I turn my head to the side. Um, it's also a vast improvement over uh, earlier shoe berth that had been manufactured while the company was under different management. Uh, right. Now, new management's been firmly in place for a few years. Uh, I know the C5 was a, uh, was a watershed helmet for them. Uh, my understanding was that the C4 wasn't accepted that well. And truth be known, I think earlier management with the C4 did change the head shape a little bit. Uh, they've gone back to the standard, and, and when I say gone back, it's been a few years already. Uh, and, and I think that Schubert has reaffirmed their position in the very, very high end uh, of the helmet market and at a great price with the S3. Yeah, I, I would say so. Um, yeah, I mean, you get German engineering, German manufacturing quality and, and design, which as we know, they are, you know, incredible engineers. So, yeah. um, so you get all the, you know, the German ethos designed into a really top, top level helmet. And, and they've actually come out with one at a sensible price that, that it yeah. really doesn't seem to throw out any compromise. And they've got their own in-house wind tunnel so they've really done a wonderful job. Uh, airflow is fabulous off the top. It's fabulous in front. Sometimes I find on a cooler morning, I'll have the, the flip out top front vent in front of my mouth open while I'll close the direct in lower portion of, of, of the front. So I, I have lots of different ways to adjust uh, airflow in the helmet. And then I've got my loving drop-down internal shield that I never go without. And <laughs> as my eyes become more sensitive in old age, I use it constantly. So Fantastic. it's a winner, and I highly recommend it.